the Ring Magazine and the WBA Super, I think. What's he doing here? I don't care about strong. I have that skill. And he threw them down. Skills win boxing. Why? You're not strong. How did you beat me? I'm not sure his team understood it. Let's do the skills. 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 I got bail and I started training my ass off. Because if I got sentenced, I wanted to be able to fight. I bust my case. My cousin Benga, where's he at? G14, raise your hand. I'm upset, really, like deep down in my heart. Like, oh, man. Oh. And welcome back to the number one podcast of the sport where we still don't know who the real Anthony Joshua is. So in the previous episode, I think it's 110, we sort of broke down the events of Saturday night and, you know, really delved into the detail of it. But what normally happens in these situations is new video emerges and it kind of helps knit together other things that you may have overlooked or missed out on. And I don't know if anyone's seen it. And I think the video comes from the Ukrainian side of things. And they're filming Lomachenko talking to Joshua. And Loma's doing what Loma does. And Loma's a true champion. And remember, Loma's had his career derailed with an unexpected loss too. So if ever someone was going to empathize with Anthony Joshua, it's Loma. So Loma says, mate, you did well. Well done, mate. You did better than last time. Congratulations. You should be proud of yourself. And so the video shows Joshua basically going, now nah, real champions win. Fuck that. And as he's trying to you sort of, you know, what do you call it? Fist bump with everyone. You know, he, he can't control his energy. And it's like, fuck that shit, is what he said. And at that point, you're like, okay, you're trying to intimidate people. Now Now you're throwing your toys out the pram in a way that, and especially with Eastern European guys, like when, when they start to get the sense that they may have to fight, they're not going to back down from that. And maybe Joshua picked up on that energy and then got himself out the ring or, you know, his team got him out the ring. And I'm looking at that going, how do you end up in that position? And so I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pro trainer and we were talking about what happens after a fight when your guy's been beaten and you know he's put it all on the line and he's come up short. And he said, the key thing is to keep control of him for as long as you can. That means you take as long as you need to, to cut away those gloves, undo the gloves, undo the laces, take, take as long as you need to, to get those gloves off. And in that time, you're talking to them because you don't want them to fixate on the loss. That's what you don't want. You don't want, you don't want that fixation on that loss. So you're, like, you're talking to them down and go, listen, you did your best, man. We did everything we did in camp. Sometimes they're just better than you. And you're trying to drain that energy. 
You do the same with the hand wraps. You wipe them down. All these things you do to retain contact because you're still the voice that they trust in that corner. No one else can do it. So it was a massive red flag when there was no Angel Fernandez and no Roberto Garcia there in front of him, staying between him and everybody else. That's what you do when you're a trainer. That's what you do when you're experienced. That was the message I got back. When you've got a corner, essentially, and you can't really say this of Robert Garcia, and this tells me that Robert Garcia wasn't leading the corner because had he done so, I think he would have found a way to, to sort of drain the energy out of Joshua. Whereas I don't know if Angel Fernandez is sufficiently experienced in that sense. And you know, people are now asking the question, where did Angel Fernandez come from that he's in a position to be marshalling a corner at this level and look there's a long story around angel fernandez um there's issues around him and allegedly him and alec wilkie down at lansbury back in the day which then led to him going to raptors with isaac and the stuff with sandy ryan where sandy was then like i need to go back to clifton mitchell there are a lot of stories and i don't want to be the guy to to spread those but they're available in the sport but it, there's enough to tell you you know I mean the there are enough broken biscuits in the packet to say maybe you shouldn't buy them. That's all I'll say on that. But that's not down to anyone. That's not down to Angel. That's down to Anthony Joshua having people around him to, to see these things. Maybe McCracken was the only guy that saw it. So I had an interesting conversation with my mum, right? And sometimes there's a wisdom that mothers have. And my mum just basically said to me, why did he leave the other guy? Why doesn't he just go back to his old trainer? And my mom said this. When someone gets you to the top of your sport, maybe that's the only person who could have done that. Maybe that you found the right person who had the right belief in you and had the right approach. And that's what got you there. And she was like, it's the height of arrogance to believe that you can do better than that person. And she said, it's the same as relationships. Sometimes you meet that one person who's the right person for you. And you'll still spend your life trying to find someone better. And in doing that, you damage everything. The other thing she said was, do you think Joshua's got the heart for the fight? And what I found really funny is my mom was like, who was a bigger guy? So I say to my mom, look, Anthony Joshua is six foot six, 112, 113 kilos, probably fight night, 114. I said, Alexander Usyk, they say he's 6'3", but realistically, he's about 6'2", 6'1 and a half, and he's about 98 kilos. And my mom's like, oh, he's not that much bigger than me. So I said to her, what do you mean? She's like, I mean, I don't know if I would have been as scared as Joshua was. And I thought, what, you'd have had to go? My mom was like, yeah, I'm 69, why not? And I said to my mom, see that attitude you've got there? That's exactly what Anthony Joshua doesn't have. Anthony Joshua needs it all to be perfect. You were just like, yeah, I'll have a go. Whatever happens, happens. And I think a lot of times, the great boxers, the guys who capture our imagination, they have that. They don't need a camp. They love fighting so much, they just do it. Training gets in the way. I think I talked about this in my Q&A. They're just guys who live for that big occasion. But then the other guys who live for the gym experience and the fight almost gets in the way. If you ask Anthony Joshua, if they let you in the Hall of Fame for being the greatest trainer of all time, would you be happy with that? He probably would be. I think that's just who and what he is. 
And, but yeah, it goes back to the point. And always trust the wisdom of my mum. My mum was perfectly able to summarize that fight. It was essentially one guy with no heart against one guy with heart and IQ. And it was only ever going to end one way, unfortunately. But in the embers of all of this, in the aftermath of all of this, as a boxing community, let's all agree that we hope this is the end of this Joshua project. And I'm going to talk about the Joshua project separate from Anthony Joshua. So Anthony Joshua is a flawed character by all means, but Anthony Joshua is a guy who's made millions when there are thousands of men like him who are incarcerated or driving buses or doing menial jobs. He managed to avoid all of that. There's a certain magic to that. There's a certain pride we should have in this country that only in this country could Anthony Joshua have done that by his own bootstraps. Didn't go to the right high school, didn't go to the right college to get picked up by a professional team. He was just able to front up one day and have a go. And through having a go, he's made himself a multimillionaire. There's something uniquely British about that. And we should take pride in that. And in that sense, Joshua's one of our own. Because remember this, in any other walk of life, Anthony Joshua would be the guy sat at the other table in a pub. Like he said, he was bricklaying. That's who Joshua is. The shame is we don't get that Joshua. And because of that, we have no idea who the real Joshua is. It's not the sort of faux philosophy quoting idiot that you see half the time on IFL interviews. But nor is it the guy that lost his rag in Jeddah, where even his dad couldn't calm him down. Now, once again, this comes down to how weak people are in the face of money and an income. Someone should have just grabbed Anthony Joshua, literally physically manhandled him and said, where the hell are you going? That's what Eddie Hearn should have done. Now, whether you've got the heart to do that, I don't know. But someone had to do that, save him from himself. But too, too many people scared of the check. And that's a real shame. But come back to this point. We've got to hope this is the end of the Joshua project. Now, Anthony Joshua should carry on in boxing by all means. And this feels a bit like, for all those who lived through the Audley Harrison phase, right? You will know that a lot of this stuff was familiar. Back in 2000, we had an Olympic gold medalist again. And this Olympic gold medalist was adamant that he was going to do things his way, set up his own company where he was going to promote boxers and promote himself and do all of this stuff. He was looking at guys like David Hay and it was all this thing of, you know, we need to protect ourselves against these parasitic promoters and all this sort of stuff. And it kind of worked well for a few years until Audley Harrison fought Danny Williams for the Commonwealth title, I think it was. Yeah, just the Commonwealth, and he lost on a split. He went on to avenge that defeat, but at that point, that was Audley Harrison done, really. We knew he'd, we knew he'd found a ceiling. And Audley had problems after that. You know, he, never, he never picked up momentum after that. And we then get to see in 2012, another Olympic gold medalist try a similar approach. And this became the Joshua Project. So the Joshua Project links a number of different entities, right? So you've got the AJ boxing part, which is sponsorships and yada, yada, yada. 
you got 258, which is meant to be the management company, and that should also link into AJ Boxing. Then you've got the Matchroom connection, right? So Matchroom is essentially, you know, where Joshua gets seen, how he gets seen, where he gets seen. And then that links into Sky, DAZN, and all the other broadcasters he's had, like Showtime. And so this is the Joshua project. And at the heart of this is Anthony Joshua. And the aim is to make sure he doesn't drop the ball. We are going to extract every penny of value out of this man during his career and hopefully afterwards. He will fight two or three times a year. He will do all of these brand activation events. He will do this, he will do that. And it was all done with this idea that you could turn a boxer into an asset, essentially a billboard on which brands would want to have their identity shared and their story communicated through this individual. No, that was the Joshua project. And it was based on flawed logic. And the flawed logic was this. We can take what we've done in other sports, right? We can take what happened with Tiger Woods and replicate that in boxing. Now, here's the issue. And hopefully everyone understands this. Boxing has no franchise. And because boxing has no franchise, it has no, it has no legacy. It has no heritage. When Floyd Mayweather comes and goes, Floyd Mayweather comes and goes. There's no legacy of that. There's no, because he's not linked to a franchise. Unlike Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor, built by the UFC, right? Built by the UFC. Yes, he played a part in that, but the, Conor McGregor's associated with the UFC. That's his franchise. Lionel Messi associated with Barcelona and PSG. That's his franchise. Add in Argentina as well. Cristiano Ronaldo, the same. United, Real Madrid, Juventus, United again. There's a franchise behind him so that his identity merges with the heritage of the brand. And that's a powerful combination. Tiger Woods, the LPGA, wherever it is, the PGA, he ties in with that seamlessly because he's part of that heritage. Boxing doesn't have that. By design, they didn't want franchises because then the promoters would lose all power. So now you've got these individuals and you have to hope they cross over. And the only way they can cross over is by what they do in the ring. As, as, as well as you can speak in public, as articulate as you are, it's about what you do in the ring and who you do it against. There is a reason why people like Sonny Liston, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, Tommy Hearns, Joe Calzaghe, even if you want to look at the UK, Carl Froch. There's a reason why certain names transcend the sport and it's because of what they do in the ring. It's because they're able to win when they're not supposed to. You could throw in Roy Jones and James Tony in there. These are guys who made the impossible happen. And in doing that, in making the impossible happen, they made tens of millions of dollars to the point where they don't have to work again. Obviously, Roy's got tax issues. Anthony Joshua doesn't tick any of those boxes. He neither has a franchise, nor is he giving the fans what they want. And so what that meant was the Joshua Project had to convince you he belonged in that club. So what will happen, I'm sure if it hasn't happened already, by the time you listen to this, Eddie Hearn would have done his IFL interview 
and he will reposition Anthony Joshua's outburst on Saturday. And we'll be talking about mental health and this, that, and the third. Until there's a medical diagnosis of some form of mental health condition, I don't believe Joshua had a mental health issue. I believe he behaved like a nine-year-old. He had a hissy fit, he had a little cry, and that was it. I'll call that the man moment. If, you, if you're a man and you haven't been through that, you haven't put enough pressure on yourself to succeed. There are times when you're trying everything and it doesn't work or the timings aren't right. And it just all gets on top of you. And a few tears will pop out. I don't give a monkeys who you are. A few tears will pop out because everything's just on top. It can even be you're burying your friend. Or your best friend's gone to jail and you understand that his family won't be able to look after themselves. All of these things. But as a man, there's a lot of pressure on you. And yes, you have that 30 seconds where the tears come out and then you go, only I can fix it. And that's all, that's, for me, that's what Joshua had. He had, a, he had a bit of an outburst through his toys out of the pram. Everyone can understand that. It, it made for good content. But we can't call this mental health issues when we've got guys who return from Iraq and Afghanistan and they end up homeless because they genuinely struggle to be back in a world where they don't have to kill anybody. Our veterans are treated abysmally and they suffer disproportionately with mental health conditions. There are people who went through childhood trauma. I mean, let's not forget, Joshua came from a loving household. He said that himself. There are people who didn't have that. There are people who were battered as kids. There are people who were sexually abused as kids in a family environment by family friends. These are people every day carrying mental scars and dealing with real mental health. And for them to function in our society takes a lot. For a man who had a share in $77 million and he came up on the wrong side of a decision to say that that triggered a mental health crisis? Nah, I need more than that, unfortunately. Because they're people who really went through it and are really going through it now. I can't tell you whether Joshua is or isn't. I just need more information before I reach that conclusion. But let's spin it back to this Joshua project. So this Joshua project, you can trace it back to the Olympics, right? So after the Olympics, you've got a, a big, reasonably good-looking guy, wins an Olympic gold medal in his home country. The whole nation is behind him. Remember this. The whole nation is behind Anthony Joshua. And he has the pick. He has the pick of everybody. IMG, um, Wasserman, all these people. Team Wasser, they want to be called. He had the pick of everything. The best in breed. And he goes to a small company uh, where there was a young man called Freddie Cunningham. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, Sports Performance Limited or something like that. Sports Superstars Limited. No idea. But it was set up by Jensen Button. And they woo Joshua and they give him this spiel about this is what we can do with you. This is what we can do. And he jumps on that. Now, I, don't, I wasn't close to the decision making, so I have no idea why you would turn down IMG. And here's my logic. As good as Freddie Cunningham is, for Freddie Cunningham to get a meeting with Nike, he's got to knock on doors, right? He's got to knock on doors. He's got to call in favors. He's got to beg, scrimp, and borrow to get there. IMG just get on the phone. They can get a, they get on the phone to Nike and go, we've got Anthony Joshua. Are you interested in getting back into boxing? That's the phone call that IMG can do for you. That's why you go with IMG. And Joshua would have been a priority because he's that sort of guy where if you can get... 25, 30 million a year, 
in endorsements, total contract under management, that's really good revenue for a sports management company. So why didn't he go to IMG? No idea. Was that disastrous for him? 100%. So whoever told him not to go to IMG advised him badly. Because he would be a millionaire so many more times over now if he had gone with IMG. So he sticks with this Freddie Cunningham and they, they, called a, they saw Poodle along for the first couple of years, fight Matt Leg on the Frotch Groves undercard at Wembley, you know, the sort of stuff. And then that company gets sold. And apparently, according to folklore, Joshua rings Freddie Cunningham and goes, why don't we do it ourselves? Maybe the worst decision he's ever done. At that point there, you just go, right, let's go to IMG. Let's go and get this money for real. And so they set up this AJ boxing and commercial company, right? That's what they do. And this is how you're meant to commercialize Anthony Joshua's name, likeness, and all that sort of stuff. But it has a strained, if not symbiotic relationship with Matchroom because at the same time, Eddie Hearn is trying to turn Matchroom into a $10 billion sports company, right? And the aim has always been to get out the game, get some money in, get out so that the Hearns have their generational wealth. And I'm not going to begrudge him that. Something he deserves. So Matchroom becomes the platform on which we see Joshua and Joshua becomes this growth rocket that they attach their business to and go, right, he's going to take us to the moon and back. And that's when you start to hear these ridiculous strap lines like road to undisputed. You hear Hearn talking about Joshua's going to be the greatest heavyweight. He's like Mike Tyson, but better. All this sort of stuff designed to, to make you love him. Designed to make you love him. But remember, we love what we see in the ring. And if you don't believe me, Look at the rehabilitation of Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson said some vile things on his way up. He went to jail for what he did to Desiree Washington. He comes out of jail. He fights Evander Holyfield, bites his ear off, loses his mind. Fights Lennox Lewis, bites Lennox Lewis. Loses badly to Lennox. And Mike rehabilitates himself. Why? Because... We remember what he did in the ring. We remember that he put it all on the line in that ring. We remember that. You never had to make us love Mike Tyson. We loved Mike Tyson. You never had to make us love Muhammad Ali. We loved Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. You never had to make us love Carl Frost. You never had to make us love Joe Calzaghe. You never had to make us love George Groves. So why did you have to make us love Anthony Joshua? because there's a certain amount of money you're trying to squeeze out of him. Boxing fans are a lot of things. They're, fic they're fickle, they're parochial, you know, they're a lot of things, but they're not stupid. They knew who Joshua had to beat for him to, to get the keys to that kingdom, that Lennox Lewis kingdom. They knew who Joshua had to beat. And so this Joshua project then starts to butt heads with this Matchroom project. Because the Matron Project understands that Joshua's not as good as people believe he is because they're the ones telling you how good he is and they know they're lying to you. And so the commercial organization is like, why aren't we getting more than Lynx? Why aren't we getting more than Lucasade? Why aren't we getting more than Jaguar Land Rover? Why are we not getting more than Under Armour? 
And the simple answer is you're not IMG. No one's going to help you when you try and do it yourself, as Audrey Harrison found out. If you can do it yourself, anyone could do it themselves. And we can't allow that because then we cease to exist. And so you've got this project and it bubbles along and it's very hard to shoot it down. But you know, logically, this isn't going to last. Until, what was it, June 2nd, 2019? When Andy Ruiz stopped Anthony Joshua. And then that's when, that was a mortal blow for the Joshua project. Then we realized he ain't that good because deep down we know Ruiz ain't that good. So as fans, what chance do we have when, you know, this, this AJ boxing project has mastered the ability to manipulate social media? So to be honest, we don't even know how many sock puppet accounts these guys have, how many bot accounts they have that will just have this, this stream of drivel about how great Joshua is, how he's misunderstood and how he's the greatest of all time. And, you know, there's a point where some people believe that, but once you start seeing that on Twitter often enough, it becomes accepted. And those sort of fragile boxing fans that will just face whichever way the wind's blowing, they buy into that. And it was that social manipulation of boxing that I found disgusting. Then it was the the currying for favors the boxing media seemed to have done. Like, I don't know if anyone saw that, that the presser after the fight. Anthony Joshua lost the fight. He threw his toys out the pram. He has a little cry at a press conference and all of these little rats and bitches start clapping because they know their jobs are on the line if they don't toe the line. You know what I mean? Saudi paid for all of them to be out there. They've all been acting the fool. You know what I mean? Some of them have been sleezing on women out there. All sorts of stuff has been happening out in Saudi from what I hear. And it was all on someone else's ticket and they don't want to lose that. So they're clapping because Joshua brought that. Joshua brought the pediums and Joshua brought all of this stuff in. This Joshua project has created this monster of sycophantic media who actively exclude people like me, people like Porky. Um, I mean, all those other outlets, I mean, between the, beyond the ropes, I should say, sorry. All of these outlets and even like, like Greg Hackett boxing, please go follow his YouTube channel. It's actually really good. He's really insightful and incredibly funny. But people get excluded. And then they know that the only way you can get in is by being on board with this project, being on message. That's why you get vetted now for matchroom shows you never used to. Because it's a sanitized environment where they can't afford anything to slip out that doesn't suit their agenda. And they will not let anyone eat off their product unless they're aligned. But we allowed this to happen. No one made a fuss about this. No one protested about this. This is what's sunk boxing down. And this is what the AJ project has done. And that's why I'm kind of glad that it's the end because it hasn't worked. You know, go back a hundred years, go forward a hundred years. The aim of a boxer is to capture the hearts of the public through their exploits in the ring. That is it. If you cannot capture the hearts and minds of the public through what you do in the ring, nothing else matters. I don't care whether you've got soap media doing your social media. I don't care about any of that. You know, you had the chance to show us the Femi that existed on Snapchat, who was funnier, more human, more approachable. The guy you might live next door to, the guy you might see in the pub. You, you had a chance to do that. Instead, we got the rubbish. We got the garbage. 
We've got the, the media manipulation and we're all tired of that. And so what's going to happen in the next few days is Eddie's going to come out with a spin and then all of the other sycophants are going to come out with a spin and we're all going to be there like, did Joshua really lose? I know it was a split, but maybe he deserved to win. That's where we're going to end up. And then when they try and wheel him out against someone, they're going to tell us, yeah, he was, he went life and death with Alexander Usyk, who's the best heavyweight in the world. And he's not the best heavyweight in the world because he still needs to face the benchmarks, the Furies and the Wilders. And he hasn't done that yet. And so as we see the demise of this Joshua project, it takes me back to, and I don't know if anyone remembers, Serena Williams had a bit of a meltdown. I think it was at the US Open over, um, did she want an, an umpire to apologize to her? And she thought as Serena Williams, she could bend the will of the world to her way. And I don't know if you remember, but she was never the same player after that. Naomi Osaka had that little meltdown at the French Open, was never the same player after that. She, yes, she's won a few, but she's never been as dominant or as fluent since. We need to worry about Anthony Joshua because I don't believe Joshua will have that air of invincibility again because now people are like, I can get at him. I can get at this guy. All that saying the right stuff, it's just a, it's a veneer. I can get under him like Jerome Miller did. Miller did it twice. Like Dominic Brazil did, and Brazil did it without even trying. And if you remember that interaction, Joshua had to go to Eddie Hearn for backup. Anyone else would have put their hands properly on Brazil and said, mate, just understand where you are right now. Chisora wouldn't have taken any kind of disrespect. Dillian wouldn't have. Yet Joshua did. Think about what Wilder did to Brazil. Yeah, he had Brazil in his place, in the ring and out the ring. That's the difference here. The Joshua Project tried to convince us that Anthony Joshua belonged at that level. Alexander Usyk showed that he doesn't. Joshua belongs at that Andy Ruiz level. Joshua's rapidly becoming a gatekeeper to the heavyweight division. And gatekeepers don't make eight-figure sums. You know, now you've got to have Joshua back in the O2, but it can't just be against anyone. It has to be in a meaningful fight for it to sell. Who wants to see Joshua now? Apart from wanting to see him get run over again. You know, now people will want to watch Joshua to watch him get laid out. And I don't feel good saying that because I don't think that's fair on anyone. We shouldn't be there going, I just want to see this guy get laid out, properly ironed out. But there's a, there'll be a growing swell of people who don't want to do that. Because of this Joshua project. Not because of Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua, take him or leave him. It's the Joshua project. It was all those Monday sermons where Eddie Hearn would come and he'd piss on our leg and tell us it was raining. P.S. Thanks for that one, Des. And he'd come out and then all the other lot would come out as well. And they'd all come out with the same party line and you're like, no one wants to have a real discussion here. Usyk let his fist do the talking. Okay? So now look at the facts. These guys genuinely shared $77 million. 
Deontay Wilder guaranteed 50 million plus pay-per-view upside for Anthony Joshua. And they said no to that. Now you're running around picking up chump change in Saudi Arabia and sport washing when you could have fought in Vegas. Joshua may go his whole career having never fought in Vegas. This wasn't how it was supposed to end. This wasn't what the Joshua Project aimed for. It should have been Vegas, like a Vegas residency for Joshua. Do you remember when they were talking about Anthony Joshua replacing Floyd Mayweather as that face in Vegas? The fight in Nigeria. No one wants to see him. Now, you know there's Nigerians like, nah, this guy ain't even that good. What a fall from grace. And what a graceless way to fall. I don't know what's going to happen next, apart from we're going to get a lot of spin where people try to preserve the value in Joshua. And there are going to be some sponsors having some very uncomfortable conversations with Freddie Cunningham. But I'll say this now, Anthony Joshua's washed. He's done. He looks like a guy who squeezed every drop of capability he could have out of himself. And it still wasn't good enough. No shame in that. But there is a shame in not being able to accept that yourself as a man. And believing that somehow there's some injustice levied against you. There isn't. The Joshua Project told us one thing about you. You told us to believe what they said and it hasn't turned out to be true. Don't be surprised when people turn on you. And don't be surprised when people scrutinize your every word because what you say and what you do doesn't line up with the media messages. And I said, the Joshua Project is toxic. I think Anthony Joshua as a person is fine. He just needs strong characters around him and maybe that's what he's been looking for his whole career a strong character he can get behind. McCracken's a strong character, but he's not as expressive as Joshua would have liked. Maybe he should have gone with Don Charles. But there are allegations that Derek Chisora vetoed that in 2014. I, I just heard this floating around. Joshua wanted to work with Don Charles and Derek said, if you work with Joshua, you can't work with me. And the irony is, Don's on the outside looking in now and Derek and Anthony are best mates. Crazy. How the sport works. Crazy. But this is the end of the Joshua Project. I'd like to see him just disband all of that because 258 have done nothing. They haven't done anything for Cody. They haven't done anything for Ram. They've done nothing. You mean, I worry for Ben Whitaker on 258. Maybe he would have been better off with IMG. Because I don't see what they're going to do for him that Ben can't do for himself. Ben's adept at Snapchat, he's adept at Instagram, he's adept at all of these things and all they're going to do is pay companies to boost that content, maybe get him on Soccer AM and stuff like that, cool, but he can do all of that himself, he's an Olympic silver medalist. IMG would supercharge him though, that's for absolute sure. But we're seeing the end of this Joshua project as far as I'm concerned. They're not going to make the money they thought they were going to make. It's interesting that he's had pretty much the same 12 sponsors for the last five or six years. Hasn't brought on any new, hasn't replaced Jaguar with Bentley, hasn't replaced Under Armour with Nike, hasn't replaced Hugo Boss with anything like Tom Ford. And you ask yourself why? Because when these guys go and ask people they know who are interested in boxing by Anthony Joshua, you hear it. Yeah, the muscles are real, but the character's fake. The man's hollow. I'm going to go back to what my friend Ed said. 
Only now do we realize the job Eddie Hearn has done in keeping this guy on the rails. Only now do we understand what Eddie and Barry Hearn have done to get Joshua this far without him imploding. And maybe at this point, even they can't, even they can't do it anymore. Maybe we needed to see this. Right? Maybe we all needed to see this for Anthony Joshua to now accept this is who he is and this is what he is. But I'm, I, I, for one, am glad that we're seeing the death of this Joshua project and I don't want to see this again. I don't want to see people trying to feed me nonsense about boxers. I want to see boxers fighting. I want to see them challenged after five fights, after eight fights, after 10 fights, after 12 fights. I want to see them challenged. I want to see Jamie Shakiba say, why can't I fight Fraser Clark now? I want to see Ben Whitaker go, let me fight Andre Sterling next. And I'm speaking about guys I've got a lot of time and respect for, but what I'm saying is everyone's going to start putting themselves in these uncomfortable positions because your aim as a boxer is simply to win the hearts and minds of the boxing public and the wider nation as a whole. Once you do that, yes, get the commercial machine behind you. But all this thing from debut, you're turning pro, and you've got a logo already and you've got T-shirts to sell. But on your debut, you've got T-shirts to sell. For what? But you want to sell t-shirts. You know, all of this stuff, it doesn't make sense to me. And I've sat and I've toyed with this idea of, do you go into boxing marketing? And I go, no. Because so few form a connection with the public in a meaningful and interesting way. I look at Eubank Jr. I don't even know who Eubank Jr. would have behind him. But he sort of jumps in and out as and when he feels like it. But he does his thing. And he seems to be a wealthy man many times over. But he had to earn that. He didn't just get that out the box. And maybe Joshua's reflective of the people we believe in life have got stuff they haven't worked for. I'm not saying he is, he's that person. I'm saying he's representative of that. You've got stuff that you haven't worked for. You've got stuff that we don't feel you've earned. And we don't feel that's very fair. And the Joshua Project was all about what can we take before he gets found out. Definitely should have taken that 50 million from Wilder. That would have been a more forgivable loss than a 15 stone cruiserweight. Than an overweight Mexican. The Wilder loss would have been acceptable. The Fury loss would have been acceptable, would have been far more lucrative. Instead, now you're there going, what next? As if you call all the shots when you don't. Anthony Joshua will never get the fans behind him the way he had them before. That's a reality he's going to have to live with. And if he was smart now, he'd sink the whole organization and start again. He'd just rebuild and go back to being a boxer. He's not a philosopher. He's not a businessman. He's not a great orator. He's barely a good boxer. And that will be the dying legacy of this Joshua project. They took a moderately good boxer and conned the fans out of hundreds of millions of pounds. And everyone got rich, except for the fans. And at what point are you guys going to go enough is enough and turn off your TVs? Because if this isn't enough, then you're just going to get what you deserve. 
but I, for one, am glad. The project, this Joshua project's done. We don't want to see it again. I don't want to see people digging up these six foot six guys from wherever they find them and telling us this is a new Anthony Joshua. Stop with everything. Go back to earning your attention. That's all. This marketing stuff, this promo stuff, it's all bollocks. Just stop with it. Let's go back to what made boxing great. People putting it on the line in the ring, men, women, it doesn't matter. Putting it on the line in the ring in meaningful fights, taking on meaningful challenges. Yeah? Forgetting oh, I've got to protect my O. Forgetting all that nonsense. Fighters being fighters. That's how people made money in this sport. That's how people always make money in this sport. Not through social media manipulation and sitting down with Coogan for 50 minutes every Monday and disrespecting everyone in the sport who's making more money than Joshua, like Fury and Wilder. But because the sport's not regulated, there's no franchise involved, they can say what they want. It's embarrassing. And the fact that people still listen to this stuff is even more embarrassing. There are a lot of people who are over 35 that listen to what this petulant 43-year-old says and they take it as gospel. That is cringeworthy. And that's why this Joshua Project was allowed to persist for so long. And on that note, I am going to tap out and going to get myself some sleep. So you guys take care. Mm -hmm.